Welcome to the Board Game Snobs Podcast. Critically harsh reviews with a touch of class. to another episode of Board Game Snobs. I almost forgot. I have too many podcasts. Actually, I have like one other podcast, but I almost said its name instead of Board Game Snobs. But today, we have a singular snob. I'm Gabby. Fortunately, Jerry is unable to be here. He's busy doing who knows what. But we have uh, a special guest today, Bernardo. Correct? Yeah, Bernard. Yeah, his main name. Correct. Bernard. Mm -hmm. Oh, no. Oh, okay. I think... uh, Okay, yeah, I read that wrong. I made you something else. You're just Bernard. <laughs> yeah, Bernard. He's just perfect. Uh, Bernard's here today to discuss Fractal Beyond the Void. Yeah, soundy, soundy name, right? What do you think? Fractal. Okay, so <laughs> I had I had to look up Fractal, and there's like a Wikipedia, like I do not understand anything I read, what Fractal meant, so... Uh, how did you come upon the name fractal and not just fractal then i realized on board game geek there's another fractal so maybe you realize oh there's already a fractal let us go beyond the void yeah so how did you come up with that name oh wow that's a pretty long story but um (laughs) (laughs) yeah but actually it's an interesting story a long time ago when we started working in the design of the game we come up with a lot of ideas of how to build the map and how to build the, the campaign of the game. And when we figure out the composition of the campaign and the game by itself, the map construction, uh, we find out that it has followed the same pattern, the same construction as a fractal. Uh, so my, uh, my, I have a company that um, provides services in statistics. I am a professional in statistics and I run statistics for governments, airplanes, video game companies board game companies uh, and for a long time i found pretty interesting doing some game because we, we we always be in the backstage of the games um so one day we figure out well we were taking a lot of time working in this uh in in, in this industry but it's time to take a step ahead so when we start working on the game we figure out that the game behaved like a fractal so we we decide why, why not they name the game Fractal. So the, the, campaign, the campaign composition uh, follows the same construction elements of a fractal that is repeating itself in some kind of, um, you know, that the fractal is this kind of composition in the nature that repeats itself in multiple times. So uh, that's the idea of the campaign by itself. So your game is on Kickstarter. How long is your Kickstarter going for? Uh, we are, we are the, the campaign open only for 20 days. Uh, we decided to make a small compact um, a version of the campaign compared to other campaigns that long and don't last like 13 days. You know, uh, we try to compress and condense all the events and community events that we have prepared for the community. Um, we we felt that it's way better. You know, uh, most of the games actually get funded in less time that they already need 
to create to to create or collect the backers. I saw you. I saw y'all are already funded, right? Y'all did well. <laughs> yeah, yeah, pretty well for 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 be uh, well. This is not the first game that I work. Uh, I work in a lot of game of fantasy flight games. Um, for being star, uh, but as I tell you, as a backstage, I'm making the numbers, not the game, the game design by itself. Uh, I work with uh, with the board game in for for a time, working in Exodus, uh, and we did a really really interesting job uh, with this game. And our first campaign reached, um, I don't remember well in dollars, but we doing pretty well. And this campaign is actually going pretty well. And just after two hours, we were fully founded. So thank you for the community for that. Very nice. So uh, how, how do you say your full name? <laughs> My full name, that's a quite namer. Uh, Bernard Ribe Didio Castagna. Um, because oh. my, my father come from Germany, um, my my mother come from Italy. Um, when they meet and, and travel to US, um, I actually uh, travel in a lost place because of my work. Um, they they join and, and meet together, but actually it's a mixture of Germany, German and Italian name, <laughs> last names. It's quite difficult to pronounce. So, the, the, where do you live now? Are you in, are you in um, the United States or? That we're, we we have a base of operation in Orlando, um, and and we have a base of operation in Spain. So my family live in Spain, uh, and I travel constantly to America. Um, but actually, uh, we, we are right now in Spain, uh, in Bilbao. Um, we had uh, one of the the the, f- the founders of the company uh, is come from Spain. Uh, the other ones is come from for friends. See, that's the nice thing about Europe. And Europe, uh, Europeans get to travel more. I feel like I'm sure there's people that tend to stay home, but United States is so big. Like I'm good. I, I do good to leave Texas every now and then. Texas I love alone Texas. Is huge. <laughs> Boston is quite interesting place to, to to visit. The last time I, I were there, it's a quite interesting city. I've never been there. I'd like to go there. I've been to New York City. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've been up kind of like the East Coast, <laughs> and that's let's see. I'm trying to think of where else have I been to. That may be about it. I don't travel much. Not as much as I'd like to. Yeah, people in Europe travel a lot, you know, because well, something similar to the States uh, in, in, in North America. Uh, people just get a train and you're in Paris and you're in Belgium or in Italy or something like that. So people, this, uh, it's more different kind of culture uh, between countries. So uh, it's nice interacting with people in Austria, for example, or French people. It's quite different. Uh, and United States is similar in some way, but, you know, it's, it's a really huge country. I love your country, Bob. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, you travel far here, you pretty much end up seeing the same type of culture. It doesn't change as greatly as it does in Europe. So that's that's interesting. But your ac- I'm trying to place your accent. What What would you say your accent is? <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Well, uh, how many times did you open this small uh, uh, this this channel? It's quite interesting. I follow some of your podcasts in the past, and I found and found it pretty interesting and fresh to to watch to to hear, not to watch. Sorry. Ah, okay. <laughs> I see on your uh, on the I'm looking at your BGG page for your game Fractal Beyond the <laughs> Void. There's four designers. One, two, three, four. Yeah, it's four designers. Um. 
but some of them are part of the graphic designer. You know that uh, BGG don't spread the credits. We are a group of four people that is committing commit these last four years to create this game and work in graphic design, illustration, art direction, uh, writing, and game design. Uh, the initial game design and the game design leader is my responsibility, full responsibility. Uh, but we have a lot of support of iCare and Romain in game design features because they are really um, designers too. So what was kind of your basis or your inspiration for this game? Did you like play another game or something and say, I like <laughs> this, but maybe twist this and that? <laughs> yeah, this other interesting question. Um, well, for a long time, I've been... Uh, a huge fan of forex in in the 90s uh the 90s is the big moment of the fir- the forex gender uh you have the master of orion starcraft and this kind of game that is actually based in in, in this, this game the game structure that give life to to the modern board games that it called itself like 4xs um we play a lot twilight imperium eclipse and many other uh, 4x from GNT, for example, as pay 4x, and we really enjoy enjoy every of these games. Um, there is no perfect 4x game. Each of the 4x has different type of features and audience, and we enjoy it in a different type of uh, emphasis, you know. Um, but we try to do something different in Fractal. The idea is to innovate in some way. Uh, because we dislike some of the combat resolution system, and practically the, the exploration system is quite different. And just to add a new feature in Fractal, we try to add the campaign that is beyond the void. Uh, this is one of the questions that backers usually do, because the core game is Fractal, but the beyond the void is the first campaign that we're releasing for this game. Uh, so this means that in the future, under the Aftermath uh, core system, we're building new campaigns that develop the lore and the story of the game. And if I don't know if you're familiar, for example, with uh, with StarCraft, that you play a campaign and these type of scenarios lead you through a story. And this story tried to develop some kind of uh, emerging narrative. So Fractal is a branched campaign that is one of the most interesting features. And the Aftermath campaign contains 10 modes that let you uh, modify the game in any way. So if you're you're into the legacy games, Fractal has some deep campaign with a lot of new components, four or five different factions, uh, new cards and content for the game and new scenarios. Uh, But if you are not into the campaign, you can broad the expansion buy the expansion and use the component freely. We, we, we don't want the player to be free to use the, the components in the campaign. Um, but yes, the base of our inspiration is maybe Master of Orion, StarCraft, and Forbidden Star is a huge inspiration. Uh, I am a big friend of Samuel Bailey, that is the designer of Forbidden Star. Did you know Forbidden Star, Gabriel? Yes, we, uh, we've played that a couple of times. Enjoyed it a lot. <laughs> yeah, it's an amazing game. So um, um, part of the um, inspiration was for being a star has one of the best combat resolution system, and we tried to do the, the something similar, but more based on rock paper scissor and something more quicker and interesting, like uh, that has a deeper mind mind game in between. So um, the the, conf- the conflict resolution in Fracta is something quite innovative. 
uh, we take the long the long path here. Uh, we take the, the difficult because we have a, a different type of options. You know, uh, we can use dices, we can use a lot of combo resolution systems. But we we say okay, let's stop here and try to innovate in something new. Um, the new system that we, we introduce here is quite interesting. Yeah, I was watching uh, the Hungry Gamers preview of your game, and he said he was a a big fan of that combat style. And that's something that me and Jerry on the board game snobs, we enjoy. We enjoy games with combat. And there, there are so many different varieties, uh, you know, straight up dice or mm-hmm. lay down a card. And But yeah, they all feel different. And some of them, I guess, depending on gameplay, there's some games where it's like, oh, when you get to the combat, you would think combat would be the exciting part. But it's like, mm-hmm. oh, we get to combat and it like stops the game because you got to do all these other things to, you know, fight each other. and. Uh, if you can make that flow into the game nice and smooth, that's a, it makes it an asset <laughs> instead of something that stops it, you know? Yes. So yeah, the nice. downtime, you know? And some of the games suffer with a lot of this downtime between this conflict resolution. We decided in Fractal to split the phases into the macroeconomy of the actions and then the resolution of the conflict at the end of the turn. Uh, so it's like a hybrid of Kemet, uh, with some of the phases of uh, Eclipse, with something more uh, new and interesting of the rock, paper, scissor mechanic. Um, yeah, but conflict resolution is something important in, in this kind of games. I feel that it's, it's part of the F4X experience, you know? Um, mm-hmm. A4X with a conflict is actually difficult to, to say that it's A4X. Maybe it's a three, three, 3X or something like that. <laughs> yeah. Is there any sort of like negotiation in this game? Yeah, well, this is another of the usual question. Uh, yes, there is. Um, in the game, we introduce something that is made in PAX game. Did you know PAX Porphyriana or PAX Renaissance? For Phil I'm Eklund? familiar with, we played PAX Premier. Yeah, PAX Premier is a way some game. We, we love it. Uh, we are a huge fan of PAX game. And the PAX series has something in common, has open information. So in Fractal, we have a pool of action cards uh, that make every game and every cycle and every round of the game different because players are able to perform one of these public actions and, and every everybody knows what is in there. And this changes the dynamic of the turn or, or the whole in, interaction of the players. Some of the cards introduce negotiation, some of the cards introduce changes on the map by itself. So um, when you play the game, you never have the same event twice. Uh, this is part of the magic of the of the pack series, and I admire a lot uh, Phil Egnon when his uh, convoluted, interesting um, experiences they they brought with the packs game. So we have a light packs game in there in Fractal. Um, this uh, and and in the aftermath mode, we have some modes that introduce negotiation. Uh, that is something quite interesting. The player gain a new unit that is called the emissaries. And this emissary has some kind of hidden agenda. And this hidden agenda, uh, you're trying to negotiate or trade, or maybe betrayal, or try to eliminate other emissaries. And this kind of hidden component of the intrigue, you know, for example, in Pax Porfiriana, you're always playing with the spies, uh, and, sorry, Pax Pamira, I guess. Uh, you have playing with these factions and the hidden information that is of around the spies, and it's actually quite interesting. So we, we add a new components and two or three mechanics that introduce negotiation of the players uh, in a higher level. 
maybe in a, le- in a level that has Twilight Imperium. You mentioned there's a lot, lot of 4X games. So would you say that's like that particular style, that pack style plus the <laughs> combat system is what would set your game apart from some of the others, like Eclipse or whatever? Yeah, you know, that the part of the game design is uh, the state of art. Uh, if you're trying to do something new, it's just better uh, to look at the state of what, what other games do better and try to learn about the experience of that designer. And, and I feel that is, this is why the board game industry is going forward in components and it going forward in mechanics. Uh, so maybe 20 years ago, you never planned to see some of interesting mechanics like uh, Alhambra or Azul or any other of these interesting new abstract games. Uh, maybe the people is too far behind these design concepts. So uh, as far as the more games are released every year, uh, we have a new mechanics into and the and the global uh, in-game in mind uh, of the designers come together to bring new stuff. So part of the inspiration of the game comes from packs and other four X's and a new concept of rock paper scissors that uh, it may be shared between Forbidden Star and Kemet. How long have you been working on this game? Like when did it? When the idea for this start? Well, wow, all of the hard questions. Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, was it okay. pre-pandemic or in the pandemic, <laughs> sitting alone in your home? Or? Well, um, maybe the the story start five years ago. Um, oh wow! <laughs> yeah, this is quite a long time. That we will never figure out that building games take too much time. But yeah, it takes a lot of time to build. Uh, I was in my studio, back to my office. One of the the nights we played Twilight Imperium. And, and I watch uh, streaming for a um, master of Orion. I don't remember what. And there is some kind of fan, fan-based people in that game that is building some kind of campaign. So I, I feel that, okay, there is no other game that introduced this campaign component into the 4Xs. You will f- play the 4Xs experience more than three or four hours. And when we start working in that moment, I, I just take a piece of paper and in the, for in the next five years, I never come out from the office. When, when I, <laughs> I finally place on, on, on the board with one of my par, uh, my partners, we run a small test and we immediately get the idea of the concept. So uh, we start working a lot of, on a lot of iterations. We have 10 versions of the games already. Of the game has suffered 10 big changes uh, in the last years. Mm-hmm. And we finally reached the most tablet version of the game. We are pretty near to the end to the end version of the game and we are pretty happy with the result of these last five years of the war so a lot of play testing sounds like <laughs> yeah horrible yeah that's uh, yeah actually that's interesting because we played this other games of our publishers uh and we never get bored uh play testing fractal and yet after for example i maybe have like i don't remember 600 play to session under my belt uh and i never get bored playing fractal it's actually some of the part of the game interest you know that you gain a you, you reach a point of exhaustion with game when you mm-hmm. reach like 10 or 20 games you reach a point of exhaustion uh, so you, you don't never brought it to the table again because you're pretty bored again this the same stuff but yeah maybe because it's our game and and it's always changing uh, we have all this feeling of of new experiences it's pretty deep and interesting how did you manage during the pandemic to do <laughs> any of this oh wow well this is all interesting question you're fully full of uh, interesting question Gabby <laughs> <laughs> Did well, you I'm prepare? Say, uh, yeah. 
I, uh, I have our, our dear friend, Richard Simpson from we're not wizards. He's the, he's the interview master. And I, I, uh, was like, what do I say? Cause we don't do a whole lot of like designer interviews. Usually we just have people on and we chit chat about uh, ridiculous stuff. What's your favorite macaroni and cheese? That type of thing. <laughs> yes. Which yes. I will get to here momentarily. But uh, he, he, yeah, he helped me out with a few questions to ask. So credit to Richard Simpson. <laughs> Thank you, Richard. <laughs> That's what, okay. Well, the pandemic was a huge challenge maybe for all the team. Um, practically, uh, we need to build two, two different iterations of the game in Tabletop Simulator, and we are forced to move to Tabletop Simulator, and we need to learn how to script. We need to learn how to use Tabletop Simulator. We uh, find out that Tabletop Simulator for, was the best platform we found out to run the test, and this, we have a playtest group in Hungary, and Germany, and Spain, and, and two in US, and, and the four groups weren't able to send more copies of the, of the prototype. So uh, we need to pass to the digital version of the game, and we find out that it's actually more easy to build prototypes in Tabletop Simulator. Uh, the problem is that that you lose a scope, you know? Uh, when you yeah. play in games in, in digital stuff, and when we print, finally print, after, after two builds, we finally print a copy of the game, and we find out that some of the stuff that work in Tabletop Simulator doesn't work in the table. Um, oh really? So, that's interesting. Yeah, that's in the, we find out that we need to to see the tabletop simulator has a grain of salt uh, because this extraction, shuffle index, um, check information under under the card, and some of the stuff are easy in tabletop simulator and handle others in tabletop simulator take more time. So the real the real uh, design need to pass from tabletop simulator uh, all to the board in physical version uh, to corroborate the changes you're making. Uh, so yeah, full play test a game in digital version is totally impossible. You know, uh, board games need the physical components and the physical interaction of players to know how the game is going and don't make any mistake during the process. Yeah, I know that uh, Tabletop Simulator has been a savior for most of the <laughs> designers during uh, this uh, COVID stuff. <laughs> yeah. So very nice to have at your disposal. But that's interesting that you say that the things, some of the things that worked on Tabletop don't, don't work in real life. That's, mm -hmm. that's interesting. And so, the negotiation is one of the parts more difficult in Tabletop Simulator because uh, how do you negotiate with the other person that is behind a uh, uh, a microphone, you know, uh, you're yeah. looking at the, at the 3D objects in 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 the t in the screen, and it's difficult to uh, let's see. And I, I'm pretty good at perception and, and persuasion. Uh, I am the kind of kind of person that has enough social skill to combine other people, but I found it pretty difficult in tabletop simulator. So yeah, it's actually difficult to translate these negotiation skills in tabletop simulator. Uh, I'm I'm not crazy i find tabletop simulator with certain games it's you know very tedious <laughs> dragging your <laughs> mouse across picking up the little pieces and then scrolling all the way across the table but i can definitely mm. see where it has its uh benefits in the design and playtest regard so when you're uh, do you have anything in particular about fractal beyond the void that you would like that you want to get out there to like people that are listening or interested in the game, anything in particular, like your sales pitch of what yeah, you're passionate um, about this game. 
Yeah, actually, I'm pretty happy with the last week. Uh, we're running only the campaign in the last six, G, six days, and the community is awesome. Uh, I need to congratulate all the person that commit in the VG forums. Borgen Geeks is amazing place uh, to show up your, the games. And we have in these six, six days, the community is run like 25 uh, playtests, and they give me the, the feedback. And it's quite amazing to see the, the level of involvement of the players and the backers in the design. So um, Fractal Beyond the Void is a game that is not meant to be designed for a single person. Uh, we, we, we're, we will open in the future uh, a public recruitment for, for playtesters. So uh, we need them to build the, the last polishment for the game, to uh, test the scenarios of the aftermath, uh, to see if the scope or we're looking at is good. So this game is not made for only for us. Uh, we want to join the community as we are doing in the last updates uh, to create new action cards, new technologies, to balance a new system of technology. Uh, after six days of the campaign, we had two different variants of the rules that two person in BGG give me, and that's totally amazing. We have a lot of pretty positive responses of the playtesters and and their their backers. You know, they are willing to do this test because they join and find something interesting, and they play this game at, at, in the same level as Kemet or Eclipse or any of these uh, area control games. So we are introducing a new concept today that's actually quite interesting. Is is alliance alliance expansion? This alliance expansion is meant to include some of uh, of gratitude we have to the community. So uh, we want to introduce a pool of action cards, a pool of science, uh, of technology cards, and a pool of co-op scenarios uh, that can, they can play the game in any other different way, included, included with any price uh, in, in, the, in the pledge of the campaign. Uh, so this is part of the inspiration the people uh, offer to um, to fractal uh, as a backer there there are the game uh, we together yeah. can can create a, something interesting and and i really love to see that people are interested in the proposal the solo was that something that came naturally or as a result of the pandemic you know the solo is <laughs> a big thing now or did you say oh this we can throw us all on this easy i mean how did That's the solo <laughs> come about and who designed that part well, that that's all of interesting question. Other other question from Richard, right? Okay, that's an other interesting question. Uh, one year ago, when we started working in the design and published the BGG profile, we find out that the, with the lockdown and all the COVID situation, people uh, are looking for more solution to play alone. And actually, we start the, we start the automata has experiment, and we find out with a huge challenge in front of us. So we have other uh, other company in Spain that is Little House Games. They create a lot of interesting automata mode for games and uh, small casual games. And I hire and they I hired this company to join to join me in the in the process of design the solo game. Uh, that that's pretty interesting. And the, in the design point for the automata, we have two different paths to choose when we are designing the automata. So we can make an abstraction as any other game do, that is flip a card, the automata gain victory points, and gain units. 
and that's it. It's just the abstraction of the macroeconomy of the unit. That is the shortest path, you know? And we have the long path in front. So I just, I decide to, okay, we want to build automata that doesn't behave like an automata. I want automata that behave like a player, that score like a player, that fight like a player, uh, like recruit and move around the map in the same way as players do. So, well, the result is that we spend eight months locked down in a basement <laughs> alone. No. Uh, printing cards and testing a, a lot of um, designs. So finally, we reach an interesting method of building an automata that have four different behavior cards. These behavior cards has some kind of different decision-making trees, and they have aggressive behavior, defensive behavior, victory behavior, and expansive behavior. And the, the cards, a random pool of cards, made the behavior of each automata different. So maybe one of the automata focus more in expansion, or of the automata focus in victory, or of the automata uh, push the military forward to the player. So it's more fresh and it's more interesting to have these different dynamics every time you play with against the automata. And the interesting part uh, we finally find out in this experiment is that the automata because they behave like a player, we can replace a player. So we were able to play, for example, a four-player count game uh, with yeah. two automatas against two humans. And that's pretty interesting. And we uh, started working in this design concept uh, until finally arrive a solid um, mechanisms to work, to make it work, and the result is pretty interesting. We had a lot of solid player right now in BG, uh, making a lot of positive comments about the about the automata, and feel more fresh. Uh, I know that I lost a month of my life, and probably I will lose more, <laughs> you know. But it it, it worked. It worked, and it's something new. And that's the idea of the game: bring something new to the table. Well, I think that's uh, that is that's going to be something unique because you know none of the big four X games. I don't know of any. Well, actually, I guess Exodus has a solo thing, but I've never mm-hmm. played it. Exodus behave more like a rogue, ca- like uh, dungeon crawler. Uh, but yes, it's fully solo. solo. It's, it's actually it's a cooperative game, so it's in, it's in nature. A solo game. The uh, the game Fractal Beyond the Void by Bernard and uh, a, a, a scad of other people that helps you along the way. But what about the man behind the game? What do you do when you're not designing games? <laughs> what do you enjoy, or is or is this your life? <laughs> it's designing <laughs> games your life. When I'm not designing, I'm playing games. What do you yeah. like to do otherwise? Oh wow, uh, I do a lot of stuff. I enjoy uh, the nature a lot. Um, I enjoy snorkeling and diving. Uh, we had a part of twins, uh, newborns. Three, they have three years old. Uh, my life is actually quite bossy, bossy. But I learn. I since I was young, I I sleep pretty little hours a day. I don't know why. No one knows why. But I barely sleep three or four hours a day. So for me, the evenings is my moment and is my, my big moment for the solo gaming and joining some of my friends. So I play, the, oof, I have a lot of games, the Star Trek Ascendancy, Underwater Cities, uh, Terraforming Mars is actually pretty interesting. Well, a lot of card games. We have a, a lot of games in, in, in here. Uh, Imperial Assault. We work for a long time with uh, Fantasy Flight games. So uh, we have a lot of Fantasy Flight games right here. New Angels. We have Star Wars Legion. Well, and, and the PAX game. We have a full collection of PAX games. Uh, but yeah, I am the type of person that is quite active in the evening. 
And during the day, I design games and I work in statistics. And in, in, in during the day and during the part of the late day, I take care of my kids and my family, obviously. And during the evening, I deep, I jump deeper into my studio to to work only around games. Uh, so um, I I was working in in games like. 10 years ago, I started working with a mobile game company from UK uh, that is called uh, Golden Hog Interactive. I don't remember pretty well. Uh, and this, and then I jumped into the game industry. And I really enjoyed gaming since I was pretty young. I, I enjoyed Dungeons & Dragons. Did you like Dungeons & Dragons, Gaby? I've never played an RPG up until a few years ago once we started this podcast and playing more regularly we played the star wars rpg mm-hmm. uh, i've never played D, you know respectively but i have played and we've only played maybe i think we played three rounds of that at different times but i love love role-playing games but we just basically we don't have the time to like <laughs> <laughs> commit to it because you know it's a little more effort especially for uh, jerry is usually the well he's always the gm so i rely upon him and he has an insane life as well he has children job all this stuff mm-hmm. and he's taken on a new job that's even taking more time away from me but uh <laughs> we're trying to make it work but yeah sounds like you got a lot going on you said twins yeah, twins. You can't imagine. Right. People, people tell me, hey, bless you. But the people don't even imagine what is taking care of twins. Yeah, it's actually a cra- it's a crazy stuff. <laughs> Super crazy. <laughs> I can't imagine. Like, I, I don't have any children. So mm-hmm. having one blows my mind, let alone two at the same time. Wow, it's crazy. Well, y'all, y'all, y'all were prepared for that, I assume. Yeah. I mean, I, as much as you can be. It wasn't a surprise when I said there's another one. <laughs> Yeah, it's a surprise. Actually, we're looking for only one uh, kid, um, and it was a total surprise. But we we accepted pretty well. But taking care of twins have some advantages and disadvantages. Uh, you know, you don't need to have pass again for the stuff of the of the pregnancy that is quite hard for the, for for my, for my wife and and a lot of women pass for difficult moments during pregnancy. So having the compress experience of having twins you save two by one you know uh, mm-hmm. but, but the problem is taking care of two kids because they're pretty crazy you know there are climbing and climbing in in your in your studio destroying all the board games <laughs> while the other <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's, it's super crazy yeah so do you have uh in-laws or grandparents or anybody to help yeah but because we're moving uh constantly um uh, between oh. europe and america um some of my kids need to travel with me and my wife to, uh, go to the place that i need to work currently i work with the uh, u.s government uh, making a statistic for some um research centers um oh, so God. we need to tr- yeah th- my main job with us is make running statistics about the epidemics uh there is epidemic that attack the cattle and it's pretty deadly so they have uh, an interesting set of research studios and I, my, my job my main job is to study the numbers and they make a uh, model statistical models for the behavior of the pandemic of the of this uh, page you sound like just the man to design a game <laughs> statistics <laughs> yeah. are your jam wow that's interesting yeah and some I, point, I, actually, actually, maybe it sounds more interesting than it is in real life i don't know <laughs> <laughs> yeah, actually, when I when I think the first time to design a game, I thought 
okay, if I can handle an, an airport, an statistic of an airport or a statistic of a pandemic, I can I can run a statistic for a game. Actually, I'm totally wrong. <laughs> building games, <laughs> building games is actually harder. Uh, because you need, uh, okay, statistics is pretty static, and, you know, you get the information and you analyze the information and you analyze the pattern in that information. Uh, in, in the, in the game industry is totally different because you need to create something new and start working forward over, over the data you're collecting. So it's more empiric experiment of tests and errors. Um, it's, it's not that stat- static like the, stat- like the common statistics, but yeah, it's uh, more difficult. And I, and I congratulate a lot of the game designers that join this industry because it's quite difficult. And yeah, it's, 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 it's not well paid in some point. You need to be a, a fam- famous designer to gain a lot of money in this industry. It's not impossible, uh, but it's a really hard, long, long road you're taking. Yeah, I've always heard that. It's like, don't go and don't make a board game expecting to make money unless you <laughs> yeah. become prolific or very, very well known, you know, at some point. Mm-hmm. So, uh, what is your favorite food? Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> Do you have a favorite food? Like, you know, not necessarily like a whole genre. Like some people might say, oh, I like Italian food, which, you know, in America means spaghetti. But Mm -hmm. do you have a a, a passion for anything food wise in particular? (sighs) I like macaroni and cheese a lot. And I've discovered that macaroni and cheese makes a good topping for almost anything, including chili dogs. (laughs) Yeah, it's amazing. Yeah, (laughs) right. (laughs) Yeah, that's what you enjoy to eat. Oh well, that's a that's a question that led me to a, a different topic at the end. But um, I really because my family I love Italian food, but I deeply love the Mexican food. I was in Mexico uh, some time before, long time before, and I really love the the warmth of the people. The the food in Mexico is delicious, and I'm a big fan of the history of America. I I enjoy reading about Native Americans. Uh, about the Mesoamerican tribes and Incan empires that uh, developed in this um, Renaissance during the Renaissance moment. So um, actually, have we have three games under the first stages of development, and one of the games is called Quetzal, and is meant to be a Pax Americana. We are trying to let's say reach an agreement with Phil Edmund to build a Pax game that is 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 working around. Uh, the Native American people and the Na- and the Mesoamerican tribes in in the Aztec Empire during the conquest. So I I love America so much. Yeah, because, <laughs> yeah, I, I love it. Yeah. All I'm familiar with Mexican food wise is you know the Tex-Mex mm-hmm. they call it, uh, and I know that in actual Mexico it's somewhat different. I'm sure. But, you know, around here, it's like uh, everything's fried and covered in cheese when it comes to <laughs> Tex-Mex, which I don't mind. Yeah. Don't get me wrong. I like it. Okay. So, very nice. So, uh, the same thing for Italian food. So, like I said, people around here, they think Italian. We think lasagna, spaghetti. Is is it? <laughs> is, it's got to be different there, right? Yeah, it's super different. Uh, actually, <laughs> Yeah, actually, the the food in Italy is actually different depending on the areas. Uh, so, but you can uh, cut the the country in two different type of foods. That is, the North Italy food and the South Italy food is totally different. People in the North uh, used to use tomato and and more uh, sauce, and the people in the South is try to use more olive and base it in 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 uh, olive oil, olive oh, okay. oil. 
mixture. So it's more Mediterranean in some way, uh, more similar to Greek to Greek uh, food, because obviously they have more influence in these kind of areas um, that in the long past ago were were part of the Greek empires and take communication of the, uh, with the Greeks for a long time. But yeah, the food in Italy is totally different. And the pizza is something that is actually super different. If you have the time to go to Italy, please see what happened with the pizza. <laughs> we call it pizza. <laughs> I don't know why. why the, the people it's not so pizza. Crazy. Yeah, and the Hawaiian pizza. In in the U.S., people mm-hmm. sell the, the Hawaiian pizza, and that's something that we never do in Italy, you know? I don't like it myself. <laughs> Yeah, putting pineapple on pizza is just wrong to me for some reason. <laughs> it's super wrong, yeah. <laughs> it's super wrong. I, I, I really don't want to kill my personal, my personal taste. I don't know if maybe sensitive, sensitive stuff for some people. No, I don't know. I know people love it. They're crazy about it, but yeah, very yeah, nice. I, I see people fighting because food. You know. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, they'll fight about anything. So I'm sure we could start a revolution about pineapple on pizza. <laughs> yes, it's very crazy. Uh, what is uh, so, another one of our favorite topics is movies. What's like one of your favorite movies? Oh, well, that's an interesting topic. Um, I think that the golden age of films and, and, the, scene, and, the, and the movies is the 90s. Uh, the 90s has one of the best psychological thrillers. I really enjoy, uh, like the Fight Club, for example, Momentum, and uh, this kind of 90s. The Dark City is one of my favorite, uh, favorite um, sci-fi movies for all times. So mm-hmm. I am not too much into the commercial films. I don't really too much the CGI. The CGI. Um, I feel that the CGI is just making the films a little bit cheap because um, people forget about the the deep of the story, you know. So um, for me, the story is something that needs to be powerful. For But I really enjoy the 90s movies. It's one of my yeah. favorites. I have not seen Dark City, but I hear a lot about it. You need to see it. It's a really interesting movie. I'll have to check that one out. What about James Bond, No Time to Die? Just came out. <laughs> Interested? <laughs> yeah, actually, James Bond is something like um, a remnant of the idea of the 90s, of the perfect uh, agent, secret agent. You know, that this mm-hmm. is, a, is a cliche around the spying um, um, it's, it's a legacy from the night for the, from the 15th, 50s, 50s. Yeah. 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 So 50s, this general 50s, idea, 50s. I like James Bond. Uh, I enjoy Casino Royale. It's one of my favorites. Uh, Quantum of Solace is not that good, but Casino Royale is based perfectly on the book. I enjoy reading a lot, a lot of, a lot, a lot of books. Uh, uh, I, I prefer reading than movies actually. Okay, well then, go to books. What? What? Who's some one of your favorite authors? <laughs> Ernest Hemingway is one of my favorites. Uh, Ernest oh, Hemingway wow. is, is super deep in in the terms of catharsis because uh, he always plays the perspective of the of the narrative, from uh, the point of the of the person that is pa- passing through through the different type of different moments. So Ernest Hemingway is always some kind of uh, militaristic stories. Uh, well, for example, uh, I don't remember the, t- the title of that book, but it's, it's meant to happen in the revolution in Spain, and the people are just hiding uh, for the revolution. And and he goes deeper into that catharsis of the fear of the person. And, and I really enjoy this evocative moment of the Hermit Hemingway. It's pretty interesting. I try to, to read Lovecraft, but it's, it's pretty difficult to read, you know. Everyone, everyone loves Cthulhu, but... Yeah. 
I don't, I don't get it. I, 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 yeah, I, I know what the, pe- the people like it. Uh, it's a creature underwater, an ancient secret, a dark one, and the sex. And I understand what way people like it, but it's too much. I, yeah, I'm, I'm, uh, neither of us actually uh, are really into uh, the Cthulhu mythos. Not a young, not a young adult reader, are you? No YA books for you? <laughs> no, no. The, the the new books that they released in the last years. Um, yeah, Hunger Games, Twilight. <laughs> no, no Twilight, no, please. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Hunger Games is actually interesting, and I I enjoy uh, Game of Thrones. Um, but um, high fantasy is something that you need to pick pretty carefully. Uh, Game of Thrones is more low fantasy. But the, the 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 Lord of the Rings is is a, one of the most interesting um, fantasy books I I read. It's actually pretty long, but it's quite interesting to read. Uh, yeah, but the the, yeah. the new the new this new commercial Harry Potter, for example, is something that I I, I prefer something more immersive and less um I don't know it's, it's not the term commercial. I don't know what is the term, but I prefer something more more darker or more. Mm-hmm. immersive more immersive around emotions um very nice well it's been a real pleasure talking to you bernard do you have any last comments questions anything <laughs> uh well um actually thank you first gabby because this podcast was awesome i really have a really nice time with your surprise uh questions i i, oh. I honestly i honestly <laughs> i honestly think that you're stalking me for a month actually because this oh, question wow. is, is well prepared. You're pretty well prepared with these questions. Oh, wow. Uh, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, no, well, thank you to the community of Fractal. I really um, love the reaction of the people, and I invite more people to look at or, or even look or campaign or leave us your comments. Leave, leave us uh, a small visit to the BG uh, profile of Fractal Beyond the Void and try to see what is happening in Just Raider. Uh, we're trying to do something different. Uh, we're we're a company that doesn't care about money. We're we're care to release a good game. Is is our main objective, and this game can only be built if we work as a community. And we, if we shared our ideas, if we shared our perception about the modern modern state of the board games, um, legacy games are actually interesting. Uh, we don't want to destroy the, the components, but we are a pure legacy mode in the campaign. But uh, actually, I'm pretty sad destroying the, the pandemic legacy. Did you play pandemic <laughs> legacy? I, I, yeah. I, I, I can't destroy the card, you know. I can't. I just I just can't destroy <laughs> I, I can't We've it. been trained completely different. They're trying to retrain our brains. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, but actually interesting and thank you so much for this for, for your time here, uh, Gabby, and, and it's quite an enjoyable moment. Well, I appreciate it. Uh, glad to have you on. It's been very pleasant, and I wish you much continued further success and come back anytime. <laughs> Thank you so much, Gabby. Thank you for listening to the Board Game Snobs. Stay classy.